So we'll begin this afternoon uh, with verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as we reflect on God's word, uh, we'll see how it all applies in the canons of Dort as well. So hear then God's word, this is his inspired and infallible word for you, his people. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now I just draw your attention to a to, uh, uh, difference here. Um, there's a footnote here in the ESV that says the folly of what we preach. It's actually the folly of preaching. It pleased God through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human me, no human being, may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now turn with me also to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll begin reading with verse 14, and, and this is uh, the text that is the background for what we're looking at in, in the canons of Dort, in Head of Doctrine 2, uh, five, Articles 5 through 7. The Second Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him, everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now I invite you to turn with me as well to the Canons of Dort, Head of Doctrine 2. If you have one of the green books of confessions, this is found on page 82. Uh, we're looking at Head of Doctrine 
5, Article 5, Article 6, and Article 7. And here we begin with Article uh, 5, Head of Doctrine 2, the Universal Proclamation of the Gospel. The promise of the Gospel is that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and proclaimed universally and without discrimination to all peoples and to all men, to whom God, in his good pleasure, sends the gospel. Article 6. Why some do not believe. That, however, many who have been called by the gospel neither repent nor believe in Christ but perish in unbelief, does not happen because of any defect or insufficiency in the sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross, but through their own fault. Why others do believe, but to those who truly believe and by the death of Christ are freed from their sins and saved from perdition, this benefit comes only through God's grace given to them from eternity in Christ. God owes this grace to no one. Now, as we, we consider these articles this afternoon, we consider uh, their flow of thought that is found in the second head of doctrine. Recall last week that uh, we considered the infinite value of the work of Jesus Christ. And, and there's these, these four ideas of infinite that are found in, in the first four articles, that, that there's infinite majesty found in Jesus. And so, Sins committed against him require a punishment because his infinite majesty has been offended. And yet, with God, there's not only infinite majesty, there's infinite mercy. And in his infinite mercy, he's given us his Son. And the death of the Son of God is of infinite value and worth. It's abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. And lastly, the reason that that sacrifice, God's atone, Christ's atonement, has such infinite value, is because of his infinite essence, that he was God and man who offered himself up in sacrifice. So we've got this, this infinitely sufficient atonement that has been secured by the work of Jesus Christ. Now the question is, how does a sinner, how does someone like you and me, obtain this? How do we acquire this? How do you make it your possession? How do you secure this infinitely valuable work in and of yourself? You see, the question comes, and I think it's a, it's a good question, it's a natural development. What good does it do you to know that there's, there's something of, of infinite value, and we know it's there, but you can't reach it, you can't obtain it, you can't secure it? Or what happens if we know it's there, but how we obtain it is just a mystery to us. We, we throw up our arms and we say we don't know. In fact, that's the, the character of, of what we're contending with and, and what the canons of Dort are encouraging us with to see how, how God has this, this infinite treasure in the work of Jesus Christ and he works it into the lives of his elect. To illustrate this this question of having something of infinite value. Maybe you've, you've heard the story about the leprechaun who, who a farmer captures. 
and the leprechaun has a treasure that he's buried in the field, and he, the farmer forces this leprechaun to, to reveal where he's buried that treasure, and the, the leprechaun assures him that this treasure is buried in an open field under a ragwort plant. And so the, the farmer takes the leprechaun to that field, and the leprechaun shows him that particular plant where the treasure is buried, and, and he, he secures a promise from that leprechaun that, yes, for sure, it is buried under there. And then the, the farmer goes off to, to get a shovel. And he lets the leprechaun go, and, and there's that red ribbon. And, and the farmer can't wait to dig up that treasure. But the leprechaun needs to trick him out of it. And so when the farmer is gone to get the, the shovel, the leprechaun ties a red ribbon upon all the weeds in the field, and now the farmer comes back and he can't find the treasure. Maybe that's how we think about the, the grace of God, where, where we think, well, well, sure, there's this infinitely valuable atonement. How, how does one, does it depend on me? And if it depends on us, we, we know that none of us could secure that. We, we're completely mystified by that. But what we see in God's Word, as this is confessed in the canons as well, the Bible teaches the the location of this treasure is found in Jesus Christ, but it's, it's not to leave it in heaven, but it's to recognize that it's, it's right there, accessible to us. And it's accessible to us when the gospel is being preached. And that's what we're considering this afternoon, the preaching of the atonement. And again, you hear the, the pastoral concern of the canons of Dort, that there's this, this astoundingly valuable atonement, but, but how do you secure it? Well, God secures it, and, and as we stand in awe of the work of God, whether it's his eternal election, or, or the wonder of the atonement, or his irresistible grace, or his, his holding on to the perseverance of the saints, every head of doctrine that the canons of Dort unfolds for us relates to the life of God's people, the life of the church, and the place that, that God has designed for the preaching of the gospel, that the way God relates to his people is through the gospel preaching. God is bringing his eternal purpose to bear in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now maybe we've grown up in the church and, and having sermons is like, like, eating breakfast every day. We, we don't often remember and we don't often think about what we're doing. I think that's the value of having the, the confessions, that, that here we begin to see, again, the, the wonder of what is being accomplished by God through the gospel ministry, that this is a, a gracious administration of the work of Christ to the souls of his elect. And so for us to be faithful, we need to follow what God has called us to in his word. And so we're going to consider that this afternoon. We're going to see that, that this gospel needs to be proclaimed. The atonement needs to be proclaimed without distinction. And we need to recognize that when it's proclaimed without distinction, then it is an aroma of death to death. And so we're going to consider that secondly. But we're also going to see that it is an aroma of life to life. And we're going to look at that thirdly. But first of all, we need to recognize that the atonement, the work of Jesus Christ, needs to be proclaimed, needs to be preached, needs to be made known without distinction. The content of gospel ministry is very important. The canons of Dort remind us 
that the promise of the gospel and the command to repent and believe needs to be preached, needs to be proclaimed. The promise of the gospel is that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, who believes in Christ crucified, who believes in Christ resurrected from the dead, whoever believes in Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His work is of infinite value. It's sufficient. There's enough there to deal with every one of your sins. What a glorious gospel that is. That's the revelation of God's word. That means when, when the gospel is preached, God is holding out in his hand a promise for you, a promise that when you repent and believe in him, your sins will be atoned for. And the content of the sermon needs to focus our attention on the word of God. When we, we listen to God's word, John 5 verse uh, 39, I believe it is, that, that we search the scriptures and, and the Jews misused the scriptures because they they thought that in them they could have eternal life without Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, these are they that reveal me. And so we need to see this work of grace on every page, that, that God is, is showing us his grace in exposing our sin, in intervening in our lives for the sake of his covenant grace, and in our grateful response. As the Bible unfolds the history of, of God's people, the wonder of how he, he sovereignly, we've seen this in Abraham throughout. The wonder of that gospel that is shown to Abraham, that, that God again and again takes Abraham on his journey through life and says, Abraham, you need to trust me. You need to rely completely upon my grace. Now, that's not, not some abstract idea. That's the reality of the covenant of grace. That's the reality of the gospel work in Abraham's life. And the command of that gospel is we need to turn away from self-reliance. And we need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to look to him. Turn from sin. Turn from immorality. And be delivered through the work of Jesus Christ. And the canons of Dort remind us, this promise, together with the command, ought to be announced and proclaimed universally and without distinction, to all peoples and to all men. There is no distinction. There's no Jew, no Greek. Every tribe and every language and every tongue and every people are now called to, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but now we need to recognize that, that not only do the canons teach about the content of the gospel, the content of what is being preached, they also talk about this method. The need to to make the gospel known universally, without distinction. As God is pleased to send and to work that gospel. You know, you know when, when Paul is traveling on his missionary journeys, God doesn't call him to go everywhere. He, he specifically directs him, and the Spirit forbids him from going to one place for a time. According to God's gracious design, according to God's gracious intent. And yet, as the canons of Dort focus on this, we need to recognize that there's a, a clear understanding of how easily God's truth 
the truth of election, the certainty of these distinctions that God makes with regard to who's elect and who's reprobate can be distorted by our practice. It happens individually and it happens in churches. And the idea goes like this, that, that, that the error unfolds because there's a, there's a spirit of practicality or pragmatism that, that creeps into our outlook on life. And the, the spirit or the idea goes something like this, that, that our behavior and, and the way we act and the things we do are based on what we perceive is going to produce results. We will commit ourselves to a program, to a practice, to an idea that promises a desired outcome. And it creeps in with the gospel individually, but also within churches when we start to, to talk about the gospel to those whom we think will listen. And we discriminate based upon who we think is going to respond to this gospel. You see, we don't want to waste our time or our energy on those that we have already assumed are not going to listen. And this happens individually. This happens within churches. And here's the corrective. That God hasn't called us to make this discrimination, to determine who's elect and who's reprobate, who's entitled to the gospel and who isn't. God says, as you have time, as you walk through life, make known that gospel to everyone around you. Be the radiance of the gospel. Be the light of the world. This needs to be preached. This needs to be proclaimed. This needs to be made known by all of us. All of us have this mission. All of us have this ministry. And this has been painfully impressed upon me in this time of isolation. When we can't get out and about, how can the church reach out into our community? It does so through you. I'm limited. I'm restricted as to where I can go and what I can do. But as you have the opportunity, you can be the ministry of Christ. You have this privilege of the office of believer as prophet, priest, and king to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here, particularly in the church, in, in, a, in a corporate way, we, we sit under the gospel, and in this way, God is administering and showing us his grace as well to equip us and enable us to go out into the world. But there will be different responses. And here too we need to recognize the work of God, that, that even this is part of God's design. And Paul recognized this as well. Paul recognized this in his, in his official capacity as an apostle. And sometimes that gospel is going to be an aroma, and, and Paul says it this way, it's going to be a fragrance of death to death. Now, often we don't think of 
of a good or a bad smell as a, as a fragrance. A fragrance is something more like a perfume or something like bread baking, something we enjoy, something we want to smell. It's that good smell, but, but there is an aroma from death to death. Maybe you've been tramping in the bush and you've smelled a dead animal. When we were at family camp this year, there was a, a dead peacock that was down the bank of of uh, an, an intense bush, and we couldn't see what it was or know where it was, but, but every time we walked past that little portion of the footpath, we could smell this awful smell, and we knew it was a dead critter just decaying. From meters away, you can smell the stench, and it's repulsive. And often, that's how many people regard the gospel of the work of Jesus Christ. Regard the 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 sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus Christ. For them, it's not a treasure to be pursued. It's like a tombstone. It's something to be avoided. And they're called by the gospel to, to heed the promise and to repent and believe, but they turn their backs. Why is this? The canons remind us God's word teaches the fault is theirs. Is there something wrong with the message? Oh, no. There's nothing wrong with the message. But then we, we begin to question, is there, is there something wrong with, with the method? And today the church, by and large, is contending with this question. Some have even forgotten this question. Is there something wrong with God's method of, of preaching the gospel? Do we need to prop that up with so many other things? And God's word says no. Paul faced this, especially in the Corinthian church. He recognizes who is adequate for these things. There are many peddlers of the word. They're, they're, they're selling things from the word who think they're adequate for this task. They're salesmen with the word of God trying to sell a product. And in, in some of the literature that I receive about church growth and about church ministry, so many times it's couched in the language of the marketplace rather than in the principles of God's Word. They have the signs and the wisdom to attract the people, to attract the Jews and the Greeks, as Paul would say. But here we need to recognize that the the power of God is displayed not only in the message, but also in the method, that in the preaching of Christ and Him crucified, there is the power and the wisdom of God. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 1, the, the word of the cross, the message of the preaching, and the method of preaching, is folly to those who are perishing. It's the aroma of death to death. But to us who are being saved, it is. Notice it is the power of God. Notice it's not about the power of God. It is the power of God. That the proclamation of the work of Jesus Christ is the power of God. Or again in, in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. When Christ is preached, in the preaching of the gospel is the power of God to accomplish his purpose. This is God's method. 
He's pleased to send the gospel to whom he wills, and where he sends that gospel, he will use it to bring salvation to those who are elect. It is God in his grace that he gives the message, but he also uses this method. He's pleased to use the preaching of the gospel to bring life in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul can say, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Do you hear the wonder of this victory? And through us, this is through the apostles, Paul is talking about his ministry, his work as an apostle, as a, as a bringer of the gospel, as one who is commissioned by God, verse 17, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ, and it is as if Christ were there and is making that known. To those who are perishing, there's nothing more odious more foolish, more insignificant, more irrelevant, more waste of time and energy than the preaching of the gospel. And they perish. And they perish, not because there's something defective or insufficient in the work of Christ, in the word of Christ, in the method of God, in the preaching of the church. They perish because of their unbelief. Because they are in darkness. And they refuse the light. The guilt and fault is wholly their own. But not only is the, the gospel an aroma of death to death, it's also an aroma of life to life. Those who are brought to life recognize that their faith in the work of Christ has been a gift of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8, has been given to them by God, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. They see the, that God's word and God's work in the preaching of Christ and Him crucified is God's wisdom, is God's power, and they commit themselves to Him and to His method. And again, we're like Israel in a world of chariots, where God called Israel to not multiply for themselves horses, not raise up for themselves an army of chariots. They needed to rely completely upon the Lord. And so when they would capture horses, they would hamstring their horses so that they couldn't be used for their war effort. What do we have? We have the most powerful weapon. And what has God called us to do? He calls us to trust his word to accomplish his purpose. Isaiah 55, that it will satisfy a soul that seeks in faith the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's grace that he gives this message, but also that he uses this method to bring life to those who are dead. Faith and its fruits show the power and the wisdom of our Yes, but, but is this going to work when you talk with your neighbor and they laugh in your face? Does God require you to have a, a theological degree and an and a opportunity of eloquence? This is Paul's assurance. When we're contending with the power and the wisdom of God, God is pleased. He's pleased. He delights to use weakness. He delights to use foolishness. And Paul says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. We're not wise according to worldly standards. We're not powerful 
We're not of noble birth, but God chooses us. Here again is the wonder of God's election. Not only does he choose the message, not only does he choose the accomplishment, he chooses the method. God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. You see, election is very practical. God's choosing is not only about saving sinners and saving the elect, it's about choosing this method. God chooses the weak, the shameful, the foolish to accomplish his purpose. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. But we can say, this is all the work of God. The place where the treasure of infinite value is buried is in the preaching of the gospel. Some will avoid this. It's the stench of death. It's foolish. It lacks wisdom. It lacks power. It's ineffective. But as many as truly believe will see, no, it is the wellspring, the source, the fountain of wisdom, the fountain of power, and the wellspring of eternal life. And in this way, God takes the treasure and deposits it in the heart of the elect and says, See, here is my work. You are my life. May God help us to appreciate the wonder of the atonement and the privilege of making this known indiscriminately to the world and trust that the results, too, are in the hands of the Lord. What a blessing to know that God works this way.